Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. Today's book selection is The Daughter of Time by Josephine Tay, part of the Inspector Alan Grant mystery series. Recovering in the hospital from a bruised spine and broken leg and unable to work, a bored Inspector Alan Grant becomes fascinated with Richard III's portrait. Something in the monarch's face makes Grant begin to question his guilt. While confined to his hospital bed, he conducts an investigation into Richard III's life and the murder of the princes in the tower. Enlisting the help of an actress friend and a young researcher, Grant sets out to prove Richard's innocence and to find out who the real killer was. The Daughter of Time is a captivating mystery with a fascinating historical background. I brought my books to the table and set them down for the two women at the library sale to tally for me. They carefully lifted one book after the other, counting my stack aloud. I smiled at them determined not to show my impatience at the snail's pace. Suddenly, I heard a gasp from the thin woman counting my books. Oh, Josephine Tay, she said. You never find her books. I smiled at her feeling that we were now kindred spirits. Browsing the tables that morning, I had come across four of Josephine Tay's mystery novels. I was eager to read them, and knowing they were a rare find, I snatched up three of the books, leaving the last book, with some restraint, for someone else. The woman held the book to her heart and smiled at me. You're in for a treat, she said as she packed the books into my bag. I thanked the ladies for their help and left with my new treasures. A few months later, cozy and nestled in blankets, I started my first Josephine Tay novel, The Daughter of Time. After a mildly slow start, I was hooked. An avid fan of history since childhood, especially about the British monarchy, I was never interested in the life of Richard III until I read this book. And now, here's more about the story. In The Daughter of Time, Josephine Tay tackles one of history's most debated and unsolved mysteries in a wholly original, unusual, and intriguing detective novel. Her detective must try to solve a murder case which took place centuries ago, and with no evidence at his fingertips, prove the guilt or innocence of the suspect. In other hands, the story could be read as a thinly-veiled pseudo-history lesson, but Tay invests the reader in the historical background, making it come alive and keeps the reader on the edge of their seat, eagerly turning the pages to find out more about Richard's story. It is deftly written and ingeniously plotted, and whether you agree with Josephine Tay's theory on who murdered the princes in the tower, it is worth reading for her ingenuity alone. The ingenuity of the book lies in the way in which Josephine Tay uses and plays with limitation and lack in the book. All mystery novels carry with them certain restrictions and limitations. The detective is precluded from witnessing the crime and must piece together the clues and evidence as he discovers it. But unlike many murder mysteries of the era, no murder takes place in The Daughter of Time. The murder that Tay's detective is investigating happened centuries before. Her detective has no murder scene to investigate, there are no clues left behind for him, and there are no living witnesses. And as if this weren't enough of a limitation, he is also confined to a hospital bed. The setting of the book takes place solely within the confines of a hospital room. 
Josephine Tay uses her detective's restriction to her advantage, though, coming up with inventive ways to investigate the centuries-old murder. A portrait stands in for the accused, historical accounts stand in for the testimonies of key witnesses, and faces speak where voices can't. The methods are unorthodox, and the coincidence is slightly improbable, but the way she fits the puzzle pieces of the mystery together without force or sleight of hand makes you feel that you are at the feet of a master mystery writer. At the beginning of the book, Inspector Alan Grant lies in his hospital bed studying a crack in the ceiling, and what he calls the prickles of boredom. Nothing holds his interest, not even a stack of the latest thrillers, literary fiction, and comedies on his bedside table. When his friend Marta Hallard, an actress, comes for a visit, he has the first glimmer of reprieve from his boredom. A discussion on crime leads Grant to share his theory on faces. He believes that he can tell a person's guilt or innocence by their face. Marta is amused, but dubious. She returns later with an envelope full of historic portraits, hoping that they will interest Grant and also as a test for him to prove his theory. Among the portraits is one that grabs Grant's attention, which leads to a most unusual case for the inspector. Prove the innocence or guilt of Richard III. His hope? To give Richard III a fair trial, and if found innocent, to exonerate his name from the charges of murderer and villain. On seeing the portrait of Richard for the first time, Identity Unknown, Tay writes about Grant's impression of him and the story his face seems to tell. She says, Grant paused in the act of turning the thing over to consider the face a moment longer. A judge? A soldier? A prince? Someone used to great responsibility and responsible in his authority. Someone too conscientious? A warrior? Perhaps a perfectionist? Someone, too, who had suffered ill health as a child. He had that incommunicable, that indescribable look that childhood suffering leaves behind it. Grant is haunted by the face, and after closer inspection, he is surprised to discover that it is a portrait of Richard III. To Grant, it isn't the face of a villain, especially not the one recorded by history. How could this be the face of the man who ordered the murder of his two nephews, mere boys and the rightful heirs to the throne? How can the man in the portrait have committed one of the worst crimes in history? Richard III is immortalized as disfigured, treacherous, and evil, but the man in the portrait doesn't look anything like this to him. And so Grant boldly takes on a case that has perplexed historians for centuries. But without resources, witnesses, or a crime scene, along with being restricted to a hospital room, he has to be inventive in how he conducts his investigation. To begin, he decides to approach the case as a Scotland Yard detective and not as a historian. Grant begins with a series of questions. Who was Richard III? What are the historical accounts of him? What happened to the two princes? Who are the other players in the drama? And, if Richard didn't have the princes murdered, then who did? The answers to these questions, however, are not so forthcoming. To answer them properly, and to follow the paltry paths of clues, he must have access to more resources than are within his reach. The investigation begins slowly. Borrowing the school history books from one of his nurses is an early attempt to gather information. Grant is that desperate to discover anything about Richard's life. When these books prove to be too juvenile and fearfully devoid of much information on Richard III, he asks for friends and colleagues to look for books about the monarch's life and reign at bookshops. There is, much to his chagrin, very little in these books as well. Because of the daunting amount of research to a case like this, Grant is in desperate need of an assistant. 
one who can move about outside of the hospital walls. Thankfully, his friend Marta enlists the help of an American researcher named Brent Carradine to help Grant. The investigation is in full force after he joins in. It seems that all Grant needed was an unkempt, unimpressive, but likable researcher to help him. They are an interesting duo. Both have a dogged determination to uncover the truth. They will need this determination because there are only a few contemporary accounts of Richard's life they are able to find. Grant's investigation is a difficult one, with many facts and accounts lost to history. And many of the historical accounts they find are full of discrepancies about Richard's character. How could the same man who was so loyal to his brother treat the same brother's children so coolly, locking them in the tower and having them murdered at night? Even Richard's harshest critics find inconsistencies with this in his early character. One of the fictional historians in the book, Dr. James Gravener, vouches for Richard's good name before he was king. According to Grant, Dr. Gravener admits to Richard's wisdom, generosity, courage, charm, and popularity. And as Grant continues to read Gravener, he keeps account of the impression this critic has of Richard. There was nothing mean or paltry in his character, according to the doctor but he was a murderer of innocent children. Even his enemies had confidence in his justice, but he murdered his own nephews. His integrity was remarkable, but he killed for gain, the book says. It is this incongruity, how it needles at the popular theory, that keeps Inspector Grant and Brent Carradine searching through history books and contemporary accounts with all the stops and starts and twists and turns along the way to discover the true character of Richard, and if he was capable of having his nephews murdered. But why take on a case with so much historical baggage? I wondered as I neared the end of the book on that first reading. Weren't there easier ways to alleviate Grant's boredom than picking a case that to this day causes controversy? Solving a centuries-old murder doesn't serve Grant in any way. It won't advance his career, nothing can be gained for him monetarily by it, and there is little promise of fame. It seems Grant does it because in spite of gaining nothing, he believes the portrait is of an innocent man. Not only does the case pique his interest, but it also captures Grant's desire to seek the truth. It is a desire which causes him to boldly put the former king of England on trial, treating him as he would any other man who stands accused of a crime. Along with being ingenious in its approach, the novel has a very sober aspect to it, the search for truth. It asks, can it be too late to absolve a person from presumed guilt? Can the passage of time remit the uncovering of the truth? Grant doesn't think so. For Inspector Alan Grant, monarch, villain, or innocent, the man deserves a fair trial. Whether you agree with the detective's final judgment or not, his desire is admirable. The guilt or innocence of Richard III has been hotly debated for centuries, was he really the villain that history, art, and entertainment have made him out to be? Perhaps, but perhaps not. In The Daughter of Time, the life of Richard III is put under a microscope, and although fictional, his life is minutely examined to find out what type of man he was, villain or a man of character and quality. Has history been too cruel to him, Inspector Grant dares to ask. With the help of an American researcher, Grant searches through the pages of history to discover the real Richard III. As bold as Grant is in his investigation, Josephine Tay has written a mystery without a murder. Instead, she searches for justice for a man declared guilty by history. Richard III may or may not deserve the title of villain, 
but she is determined, like Grant, to give him a fair trial. And while Josephine Tay may have a motive for her book, if you can put aside your prejudices, she has written a riveting and highly unusual mystery novel. And as the woman at the book sale said, it is a real treat. I enjoyed reading this book immensely. My hope is that you will too. Read this book if you are a fan of intelligent and well-crafted mysteries. Read it if you are a fan of history or British monarchs. Read it if you like the puzzle of an unsolved mystery. Read it if you think Richard III was innocent, or if you are convinced of his guilt. Read it if you want the taste of another time and place. Read it if you are looking to get lost in the pages of a book. You will find that it is time well spent. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new book recommendation. If you want to connect during the week, I'm at Well Read Beth on Instagram. Until next time.